Well, good morning and welcome again to, um, to the induction course, session three. This is um, probably one of the more important um, sessions in the whole thing. In the next quarter of an hour, I'm going to introduce you to the idea of sin. Now, don't turn off. It's so important we understand what sin is, what our relationship to it is, and how we're called to get involved in the fight. Um, it's the trivialization of this word that has mucked up uh, Christianity and has mucked up our society. And we've all started to think of sin as this little you know, personal peccadilloes, the little things that I do wrong, and, and it's been, it's been trivialised. We, we now think of, you know, if you see sin on a notice board, it's going to be selling tattoos or a strip club. There's no sense of this filthy, horrible thing inside us that seems to continue to bring out the racism and the xenophobia and, and the, the horrible abuse of everyone else, the, the greed in commerce that we all just seem to revert to all the time. Uh, yeah, so much could be said about what's in the news right now. Sin is really big news. And unless you identify your enemy, you will never be engaged in the fight. We would all like to see the kingdom of God come. Well, the kingdom of God has an enemy. The short summary of that enemy is sin. So it'd be really great if we spent a little minute understanding it and understanding how we fit in the story. So I want us to start in a really, really fast overview of the first 11 chapters of the Bible, because this is, this is where um, the prologue for the Bible is. If you've ever, I'm, I'm a bit of a Shakespeare buff. I'm sorry, I just am. And always in a Shakespearean play, there's a prologue. And what it does in a sort of a bit of a poem, it sets up who the main characters are and what the problem is that has to be solved over the course of the play. Genesis 1 to 11 is the prologue to the Bible. It sets up the main characters. It sets up the problem. So it'd be really good if we understood it. So super fast, super fast. You'll do well to read these chapters. We, uh, we've talked a little already about creation in, uh, in one of the other sessions. But God makes the place. He made it well and he loves it. He put people in charge of it. He made people to live in society, in family, in, in sexual, spiritual, social, economic wholeness. If you read the stories of the Garden of Eden, that's what it's all about. Um, there's procreation in the Garden of Eden. There is work in the Garden of Eden. Um, there's prayer in the Garden of Eden. It's a beautiful place. It's just everything's working. And then it goes wrong. Now let's have a look at how it goes wrong. In order. Number one, first thing that happens. We decide that the big temptation of the Bible right through is when the devil came to, to the people and said, you could be like God. You could be your own little God. And they fall for it. And there's that story of the apple and the tree. Look, don't worry about what actually happened. Those are, are furfies designed to get you away from the meaning of the thing and how it relates to your life. What happened was our forefathers, every generation before us, and now we in our turn, have decided that we have the right to be our own little God, that the world should rotate around us and that we should be in control. It should work the way we want it. And I don't know if you've noticed this, most of people's problems with God is if there is a good God, why does he not do what I tell him to do? Which is the very definition of sin. And people go to this 
thing the Bible exposes as the exact wrong way to look at life and go, well, if it's not like that, then there is no God. When in fact, the Bible itself lays it out straight away and says, you're not in control. Get over it. You're not God. Get over that too. So first thing that goes wrong is they get spiritually messed up. They get into this bad relationship with God where they're, they're not putting him at the heart of the cosmos. They put themselves there. Straight away after that and linked in the same story, they get sexually messed up. Their intimate relationships go wrong. Um, their sexual identity goes wrong. Sex becomes a major issue to them. Um, am I sounding like I'm living in the 21st century here? Sex, huge issue. As close as it can be linked to our spiritual problem is our, our sexual drivenness and everything else. That's, that's the next part. Next part, there's a story about Cain and Abel. My, my take on that is you're looking at the first resource war in the history of the world. I think all these people are groups of people. I think they're representative people. And, uh, and you've got the, uh, the farmers and the hunter-gatherers, and they really come to blows. And um, it's, just, it's just not good. And there's this, I, I think, the first ever resource war in the history of the world. So now we are socially and economically messed up. We're now going to go to war to get what we want. Then, um, then you've got the story of Noah, the flood. We're now ecologically messed up. So spiritually, sexually, socially, economically, ecologically, these are our problems, the Bible says. Then it um, goes a little bit further. There's a lot of stories about Noah in there. And it finishes up in the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel is where we get linguistically messed up and culturally messed up. Not only now are we sort of generally messed up, we're generally messed up in a whole bunch of little groups that can't talk to each other and don't like each other anymore. Now, I don't know how you read it, but that's what I think is wrong with the world now. If we could solve those things, we'd nail it. We'd be living in a utopia, but we're not likely to nail it. Now, what the Bible says and what the Christian faith says to us is that messed upness is what sin is. And it gets down deep in us. It gets into our identity. It's almost like we're born into this sinful system. This thing that is completely ruined. It's just everything, everything about our lives is compromised somehow at a, at a high level, at a species level. Everything's sort of messed up and we've got to keep working on it. We've got to keep trying to build it. And look, my understanding, you've heard the phrase original sin, I guess. That's what I think it is. We're just, we're just all in this together. We're all messed up. It's like we come into the world messed up and we're just these selfish, discombobulated people living in a discombobulated world and it takes us the rest of our lives to try to achieve some sort of maturity. That's my understanding of what original sin is. It's all about me. And the impact that my life has on the rest of the world doesn't matter as long as I can be happy and, and you know, get my own act right for me. That's what original sin is. You'll be like God's. Now, Jesus comes. Now, and look, there's so much more can be said about that, but do you start to get the idea... Sin is not that little tantalizing. Sin is what's driving climate change. Sin is what's driving political debate. Righteousness is where the answers lie. 
And, and you notice I'm not saying that Christian people have the righteous answers and non-Christians do. No, godly principles hold the righteous answers. Okay. And anybody who gets into those godly things is worth backing. Okay. It's about the principles. It's about the direction. When we're headed towards what the Lord would want, we're helping to see the kingdom come. We're helping to see the world rebuilt, which is one of the great goals of, of the Judeo-Christian tradition, the rebuilding of the earth. We, we know this earth is finally a temporary thing, but in the meantime, our job is to make it as good as it can be. Now, jump forward a long way in the Bible. There's a whole bunch of stories about a whole bunch of things, but the long and the short is the answer to sin ultimately is that Jesus dies. Now, God, by the way, is violently angry about what we have done. He made this place so well. And he holds us accountable together for, for how it goes. And we have all participated in mucking it up. So the phrase, the wrath of God against everyone, is about right. God is angry at us as a species for what we have done wrong. However, his problem is he loves us. Now, again, you want to read a bit of Bible about this, you've got to know what you're looking for, but the book of Hosea is a prophet who has to struggle with how God can love this. And it's all about the story of a prophet who has to marry a prostitute. And, and in the acting out of all that, he learns the heart of God, who loves us passionately and is violently angry with us all in the same go. At the cross of Jesus, you see how that meets. You see the love of God towards us in that his violence and anger is poured out on Jesus, who becomes the, the single human that God deals with as if it was all humanity. So when Jesus takes our place on the cross, it's not your and my place. Jesus is acting as humanity in total. He is mankind lost completely under the wrath of God. And if you read those gospel stories, it doesn't look pretty. Jesus becomes all of us. Takes the wrath of God, which is real and violent. Goes to hell. In love that the rest of us do not. Now the offer of Christ to us is very simply in this area of sin. He became sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. Now, this original sin business, that, that's my heart before I meet Jesus. I am as much part of the problem as anyone else, because if I still believe I am my own little tin God, I'm contributing to the problem. Jesus comes, forgives my sin, puts his spirit within me, and suddenly now my identity changes. This is something a lot of Christians miss. We think of ourselves as sinners. Our identity, when we come to Christ, moves. As far as God is concerned, and we've got to get this right in our own minds, because we get this right, what we believe, you know, Jesus said what you believe is who you are. We've got to start to believe this stuff. When Jesus comes in, we are no longer sinners who are trying to do the right thing. We become the dwelling place of the righteousness of God and people who still sometimes sin. But our identity shifts so write this one down, it's important. There's a huge difference between sin and sins. Sin is the orientation of my heart. 
If my heart is totally caught up in self-serving, self-aggrandizing, bringing comfort to me, I'm a sinner. If my heart is fundamentally given to God, to other people, to love, to service, to bringing joy to those around me, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And you've got to do a little soul check at this point. Which way does your heart point? Mainly for you, mainly for God and for others. That's sin. It's an orientation. It's an identity. Sins are what we do to express that. You'll be fighting sins for the rest of your life, I'm sorry to tell you. We're good at it. We're practiced at it. We've got whole neural pathways that help us get into it. The great battle is often for our own souls. <laughs> Inside is where the real battle happens. But Christ has changed our identity. We are not sinners who, who try to do the right thing anymore. We are the children of God who sometimes sin. And our natural game is to get out there to take on those big cultural level sins. I don't know if you've noticed this. Addiction, drug abuse is desperately sinful. It steals, it kills, it destroys. That's how you pick the work of the devil. Our lives have to fight that. If there is addiction in us, then it has to be fought there too. If there's not, we have the opportunity, well, even, and even if it is, we have the opportunity to resist at a cultural level. Sexual violence, all violence, steals, kills, and destroys. It's the work of the devil. It's sinful. If that's in me, it must be defeated. Whether it's in me or not, my mission is to help to, to answer that prayer of, that Jesus gave us. Your kingdom come. I'm going to help bring in the kingdom of God, which is the expulsion of violence and the replacement with it of peace. Ecologically, seriously, the ecology is a spiritual issue. It is sinful if we are destroying the earth. We were told to steward it, to look after it. Well, where's that? And if I'm not helping in that, I am still in my sins. It's time for me to repent. I'm here to be working with God on the side of the angels. So the whole fight with sin and the whole understanding of sin and being able to spot sin in political discourse, in the economy, in culture, where, where you see the things some politicians say sometimes, you can just spot the voice of sin. Where you see some things happening in the economy, some of the avarice and lies, that's sin. And yeah, where you see the little bad habits in you, that's sin too. It's all our enemy. We are called to the holiness of God. It's pure. It's peaceable. It makes for joy. It builds culture. It builds community. It's good for everyone. Everyone's a winner, baby. That's the kingdom of God, right? And while I'm trying to run my own little show, while I'm participating in the sinful thing without challenging it, I haven't worked out the Christian thing yet. So please understand what sin is. Please understand that Christ has died for all of your sins. You are completely forgiven. You don't need to worry about sin any longer. It's not an issue to you whether you will be judged for your sins or not. You will not. You have been judged in Christ. So now wake up to yourself. Get with the program. Christ lives in Christ himself lives in you. So stand the way he did. 
and start to bring something that brings as much peace and joy and hope and the miracles of God to people as his life did. That's where we are called to stand. Please don't expect perfection in this life. It ain't there. This life is going to be struggling with sin. One of my great theological heroes, he actually put it this way. He said, if we could actually achieve sinless perfection in this life, we could no longer be Christians. If we said, I don't need the cross of Christ any longer because I am perfect, I can't be a Christian anymore. Christians are those who rely on the cross. God will take you on a journey over the next decades, I hope. I hope you got that long. Decades in which you will find more and more of your own soul that you can bring to God and open to him and let the sunshine of his grace transform you. Okay? You will find more and more that you need to enter into the disciplines of the Spirit. And we, there's a whole second thing we can do about the disciplines of the Spirit, the practices of a Christian. But you are forgiven. And you need to learn how to spot sin. And you need to learn how to stand against it in yourself and in others. The people who are good at that fight, seriously, they get very famous because they transform the world. And we are called as a team, as a church, to transform the world. I hope that makes sense. And I want to finish off on the good news. Your sins are forgiven. How wonderful is that? So now... There's a, there's a passage in Ephesians, it's beautiful. It talks about how all our sins are forgiven. And in the same verses it says, and there's a life of good works prepared for you. There's a reason for you. You are forgiven. So now get on with that. Sorry, last one. The Bible says we were slaves to sin. Now we are slaves to Christ and his righteousness. The freedom the Bible talks about is not freedom to be my own little God again. No, it is to be the bond slave of Christ. That's our freedom. It brings us into atonement. It, it unites everything in us. It gets the energies flowing in the right direction. That's where we're called to be. God bless and um, see you again in a week's time. Bye.